0: this episode. What is up, everybody? It's Spiker. I was recently on an Instagram live with Tom Davidson on our at Rawlings Tigers account, and he is the pastime director. He operates that brand for athletics. And if you guys don't know who athletics is, it is a baseball and softball company based out of Louisville, Kentucky that does youth and high school events. And with him being a national director and controlling that brand and also controlling another high school brand, um, it was a very candid and interesting conversation. He did not shy away from any question. There are questions. There were some questions that I thought he was not going to answer, but he dove all in. So if you're a coach parent, um, he shines some light and gives you some promising news on the Cervasus sickness um, and what we will expect for the 2020 summer. Also, um, if you're a non-baseball and softball person and you're interested in business, we do go down that route as well. We talk about business and um, how he started as well as what the sports industry has in store um, in the near future. Uh, It's a very interesting conversation. I hope you guys enjoy it. Please let me know your thoughts and give us your closing pitch.
1: There he is. What's up, Tom? Trying to get this set up.
0: (laughs) So this is his first Instagram live, um, pointing in and actually uh, talking. So how does it feel? Oh, man. You know, you feel like you're young and and, and
1: in tune with this stuff, but you're not.
0: (laughs) So um, the reason that I wanted to have you on was I wanted to talk about, obviously, the 2020 season tournaments. um, And you're at a national scale. You also are part of a group called Athletics, which is from the youth all the way up to the high school level. You guys put on phenomenal events. We are customers of yours. And um, before we jump into that, I want you to kind of explain your backstory because your backstory is super interesting. You're an Indiana University graduate, and then you end up going into the financial world, kind of doing the marketing and banking, and then now you had like a side hustle which was tournaments out of all things <laughs> like how did you explain that to your parents and be like hey i'm gonna do tournaments
1: yeah um man i feel like you kind of stalked me there for a little bit uh <laughs> no I, I grew up uh, in, in indianapolis so i was a an all-state baseball kid um and i didn't really develop ba- on the baseball side until i was a senior in high school so i went and played junior college baseball at parkland over in Illinois, and then uh, went to IU. After that, graduated from IU. I was a you know first generation college graduate in my family, so um, I grew up with my mom, my aunt, my grandma all in a house, and um, you know just kind of struggled through that. Paid my paid my way through college myself, and then uh, started. I moved to Eastern Kentucky, where my wife became a physician, so she's a physician now. Through all of this. Uh, but um, started this kind of as a, uh, a cool summer gig in 2000, Started in 2005, but our first events weren't until 2006 summer. And I used to drive from Pikeville, Kentucky, which is five and a half hours from Bloomington, Indiana. I would drive five and a half hours every Thursday after work. My, my boss in the banking uh, industry said I could take Friday off. So I would drive the five and a half hours Thursday night, um, do the events Friday, Saturday, Sunday, set up the fields to where they were staggered by 30 minutes. And I would hand drag a field for the 9 a.m. game because I couldn't get access to the drag, the, um, the gator. So I would hand drag, pull it around and drag the field, water it real quick, get in the car, go to the next field, do the same thing. No uh-huh. way. So I did that in 2006, which was 85 teams and 10 tournaments, and then it just kind of, it took off there much quicker than I think anybody could have anticipated. But there weren't many groups using college venues at that point. So yeah. we kind of tapped into that. Uh, back in those days, it was 350 bucks to come to a tournament. Because uh, <laughs> I think our Division One college fields were $100 a game, 150 bucks a game. Yeah, they're not cheap. Yeah, so I mean now our top college venues are $750 to open the gate. So, uh, geez. Yeah, I
0: didn't, uh, I didn't even realize it's that expensive.
1: Yeah, you think you pay a $1,000 entry fee into a tournament. Um there are, we have a couple of venues that are NCAA Division 1 venues that are 700 750 bucks per game with no umpires or scoreboard or PA. It's just open the gate 750 a game and we'll play five or six a day for four straight days on that venue even with that. Uh, just because they're cool. I mean, they're cool venues. Um, yeah. Of yeah. Course. I mean, I never got a play on those when I was in college. Obviously, so um, that was the main thing that started for pastime for me was let's go get the coolest venues we can. That first yeah. year, it was all IU one event at Parkland, and then at the end of the summer, we got tacked on for a date at Oklahoma State. And um, that first, I think I, I made maybe a thousand dollars that year. Uh, from our events, but I think I spent $1,500 in gas.
0: So you you scratched your own itch, and then were you driving to all these venues? Yeah, so
1: it was easier. We drove to venues through, like, I I think the first year we ever flew to a tournament was in 2011. So we were six six years in before we ever even considered flying because it was just too expensive.
0: So that car racked up to like 200,000 200, miles like real quick.
1: <laughs> oh, it, I went from, you know, that that was the first car I ever bought. I didn't have any yeah. money. So, uh, you know, that that car was, it, it, what's funny, it was a Honda Element, you know, the toaster. <laughs> that, that was the yeah. first car. <laughs> yeah. Because it was it, it was shaped perfectly, I could fit enough boxes of baseballs in the in the back. If you put the seats up, it was it was pretty cool. It was it was very economical for sure.
0: All right, so let's jump into the moment at hand and the 2020 season and the cervasis sickness. I love calling it the cervasa sickness because I don't want to get um, taken down by social media when you say COVID nineteen and everything like that. I just said it, but anyways. What is going to happen for the 2020 season?
1: Yeah, I think there's, for us, there's still so much stuff in limbo solely from the sense that most states aren't giving out definitive information. Uh, like in Indiana, our governor came out and said, look, no use sports and tournament organization leagues and things like that can start until June 14th. So we are, I mean, right then we can go through May 28 to 31 and June 4 to 7 and say, look, we can't host at in Indianapolis for Butler UND. We can't go to Purdue Fort Wayne. We don't have any Notre Dame events that weekend. We can't host that at the University of Evansville. So we know those, those are definitive. Then there are some states that, like we got updates this week that's basically stated um, our state order is going through May 29. Mm-hmm. Uh, unless we rescind this date, and we can release everybody sooner, or if we push it back to something later, which for us we go, well, what does that mean? Yeah, like we can say, hey guys, that we're, we're going to Ohio May 28 to thirty one for this event at in Cincinnati. Um, we may be able to play Thursday. Uh, we should be able to play Saturday Sunday, but they could mm-hmm. tell us that. We can't play that weekend or we play the whole weekend. We don't know yet. So that part, that part's difficult. It's just deciphering 35 page stay orders and what you can do in each of these phases that are now popping up. And what all these States have kind of said is, look, we need 14 consecutive days of decline and and exposure to this thing and new cases popping up, which makes sense. Um, You know, from uh, my wife's a physician, she's, you know, comes home with this information i'm like well that's not good that's not good good." so i think this year more than ever is probably going to be a year where everybody kind of has to be open to different things um a lot of the college venues have shut their doors to hosting for all of june for the most part a lot of them for july A bunch of them for the entire year like we i know the other day i had one of the universities say we're not hosting anything until 2021 like it's just so they're protecting their enrollment for you know the the fall semester which i mean makes sense yeah Uh, i don't know that our events would would necessarily hit people on their campus to prevent them from enrolling but they have a they have a completely different job to do and they they should be protecting their
0: people for sure so do you think this is like a fluid type of situation where we're going to be sitting at home and then waiting for an email from you or whoever tournament company that we're with and then be like all right we're hopping in the car we're going yeah I, i think that's what you
1: that's what you hear all the time is how fluid this thing is and I made a joke the other day that said, like, you know, everybody wants to talk how fluid the situation is, but nobody's really ready to give me a solid answer on how fluid it is. But <laughs> I do think that because I think we could come out with a schedule. This time last year, I bet I had 40 schedules out for the summer because I usually do our schedules. Our 16U national schedule was out March like 12th last year for July 4th weekend. So like I could do a schedule for May 28 Cincinnati and then on May, you know, May 25th, the governor could come out and say, Hey, we're stretched to June 14th. Or again, the Ohio governor could come out and say, Hey, you're good to go on May 28th. So So, I think it's tough. You'll see a lot of new stuff from us where when this came out, we basically assumed we're not going to have college venues. A lot of the, high school associations have canceled use of the high school field. So you're either playing games at a park and rec institute or a privately owned venue, which can include minor league stadiums. So like for us, we're, we're securing the South Bend Cubs minor league stadium or the Gary Railcats. Um, you know, when you say like some of these Frontier League, American Association League guys, anything like that, like that's what we're trying to get our hands on. That includes – victory field in indianapolis which is a triple a stadium if i can get them for four days it may cost twenty-five thousand dollars. yeah but i and if you missed may 28 and june 4 and you have two thousand dollars that you either need a credit to something or whatever and i can say hey i can take eight teams and we can run you can play three games at victory field during a four-day span like i'm gonna do that why wouldn't you so it may be more of an experience based situation in some states, especially for our events, because there are going to be so few fields, especially in June, available to play games on. Indiana said no high school fields can be used for June. So July may be perfectly fine, but June's going to be tough.
0: So what does it change the style of gameplay too? Like, are there anything that's going to happen during the games that you guys are thinking about? Obviously we're just talking about pastime. Each tournament company is privately owned and they operate completely different from everybody else. Like what are you guys doing on that, that front or are you guys doing anything? Yeah. So,
1: I mean, we'll follow state guidelines for that stuff as far as, you know, they'll still release this and then plot apply, you know, the social distancing stuff. And they may, I could see a state saying, "Hey, baseball games can take place, but you can't." There's only 40 people on the field, around on or around the field at any given time. Which for us would be 15 players for each team, two umpires, two of our staff to track the game and all that stuff, and basically tell parents you can't you can't be around the field. You're oh, going wow. to stay in the parking lot. But from our standpoint, um, yeah, we have we have to look at the safety for the guys, which means. Preset home and away teams, whether it's a four-game guarantee, and I can say you get two home, two away, um, or if it's three, and someone's going to get two home and one away, and you know two away, one home. Mm-hmm. So I think you have to do that. You have to eliminate post-game handshakes. Um, I was on a couple of calls where where organizations were discussing eliminating spitting and and having every player on the field in batting gloves, and I was like, hey, you go on the mound throw on a, a batting glove and and see if you can throw it. No yeah there's just yeah, they're not
0: they're not tom brady in uh boston
1: no no you just can't do that so okay. I mean, it's still a game you have to keep that uh you know i heard a couple of things of you know there's no leadoffs, which you know you're talking about that you can't lead off at, at you know 17 you, that's not gonna happen
0: so well, i mean think about like on the recruiting end of things like how is a coach really going to get a good read on a guy if he doesn't have a good lead or even the first baseman or even the middle infield? Like how do you know if a middle infielder knows what he's doing? If he can't, if he doesn't know how to hold on runners and everything like that, I think that dynamic kind of gets really interesting. Yeah. I I just, I think you can do some stuff, you know,
1: I I think the biggest part would be, you know, you walk into the field, everybody sanitizes their hands. You go play the game. I mean, mentally, you have to try to. You have to, as baseball players, like the big thing with turf, you can't use seeds. There, there are a million times where, as a baseball player, that it's just a, a
0: natural kind of thing. thing.
1: <laughs> Grab some seeds, throw it in, run out to the field, and we have to enforce it on you know our tournaments. And you know you got to yell at teams, like you can't do that as a you know an individual player myself. That was something I did every time so it, it's hard to do that but sanitize before the game sanitize after the game uh, you know making recommendations that everybody has their own bat everybody has their own helmet. I think there are things you can do to help but you're there's always gonna be you know putting a sticker on the, the bench that's six feet away from the other sticker and you know only four guys in a dugout or something like that. I just don't know how realistic some of it's gonna be
0: but you know you can try. It, you're, so what you do is you have events on college campuses and then you also have um, off-site venues that are just independent ballparks, but your group, athletics, has these big complexes like E-Town. Um, everyone's familiar with Elizabethtown. Is it going to be different in those major complexes? I think so. I think the full scope
1: of athletics, like I, I manage the pastime tournaments in Mid America brands. Mid America is like the Great Plains region. Pastime does everything else. Uh, you know, Game Day USA is based out of Chicago for mostly little guys. The rest of athletics is mostly the youth space. Mm-hmm. And they definitely specialize on those set complexes where if it's got eight fields, they're using eight fields. If it's got five, they're using five. They don't use E Town Plus. These other, this other complex down the street, like we would do, Um, like for instance in Indianapolis, when we have Grand Park, we use Grand Park plus Butler and U N D and Chittard and the other high schools because we have so many teams. But yeah, those complexes, I I think they're going to be very strict in in the state guidelines that they have to follow. Um, I think it's going to be. probably more staff needed to to manage some of that stuff to make sure they are compliant yeah um, but they'll have so much guidance from the state that uh, they'll be they'll be following everything
0: to a tee without question if they if they hypothetically you said like they possibly could might not let parents into the ballpark just might be just the teams and the umpires and then the tournament staff let's just say hypothetically they do allow parents into the ballparks are they going to have like X's on the side? So they know like, all right, you have to sit here. You have to sit here. Or do you think it's just going to be like willy nilly? Hey, no. I, you, I it's, think it's on your own. own. If you get sick, you get sick.
1: Yeah. I think that there's going to be very specific areas. One, I don't think anybody will be able to use bleachers. I mean, I would just, I would rope off all the bleachers immediately and say, look, it's a bring your own chair situation don't sit on the bleachers because a million people can sit on the bleachers during the day you're always touching it if you're going to eliminate if you're trying to eliminate the the exposure and the spread of that that's probably the one of the top 3 top 3 yeah. being the bleachers the bathroom mm-hmm. uh, especially like a porta potty there's a lot of venues just don't have those stationary facilities yes. and then you know the concession stand Um, You know, I can see those being three very key pieces of a lot of that where, I mean, we would tell our people, look, the bleachers are off limits. Now, we use a lot of stadiums, the minor league stadiums, where you can't do anything about it. But if you're at a regular high school field and there's bleachers, don't go on it. Just bring your own chair. Um, We wouldn't have facilities provide water in the dugouts. It's bring your own. Bring the your own water. Blender. Yeah, bring your own water. So that way, you're the only person, you know, touching it
0: and handling it. What about concession stands? Do you think that's going to be a factor? I think but before you just, before you answer that, if anyone has questions, because I know that there's probably some questions that I'm missing right now. So if you are on this Instagram live and you want to ask a question, just comment in the comment section or use the little question button that's at the bottom. Because Again, I'm only one person. I know there's probably more questions out there. Um, but anyways, go ahead, Tom. Um, what were we talking about?
1: So we were talking about concession stands. Oh, concessions. I think concessions are tough. Like, we all want concessions there. Like, there's nothing like going to a baseball game and maybe grabbing a hot dog or a cheeseburger popcorn for me. Every time. Any <laughs> facility I go to is popcorn. I. It's one of those spots where it's... It's just iffy. It, I just I don't know. Every time you go up there, it's the metal counter, and everybody puts hands down. You're exchanging cash, doing all that stuff, which is another area I think a lot of groups like us will need to eliminate is just go cashless. Um, for us, I don't foresee us taking gate this year. Just I mean, we've lost all these college venues. I don't think you can lose college venues, mm-hmm. keep the same rate, and then charge gate on top of it. Um, if we were, if this was a year where we had all these still, you know, every day, uh, we would probably tell teams, Hey, we're doing a one-time upfront game if parents are yeah. allowed to be just to eliminate as much contact as we can. That's not necessary. The other piece would be tournament. Everybody loves the turn t-shirts. We'd probably set it up to where it's a pre-order thing only and just say, mm-hmm. Hey, here's the, the image. It's got the teams on the back, all that kind of stuff tell us how many you want 10 bucks we'll have it ready for you to pick up you know i think there are so many things that we can do to eliminate unnecessary contact and exposure you just can't do all of it well
0: because when you think about it where do teams usually hang out especially the youth events they hang out near the concession stand up and then it's like well what happens there when you come to an event and then you have batting cages on top of that and then people are grouping up into certain spots like That's what's really interesting to me because everyone's thinking about the game. I'm thinking about stuff that happens before and after the game. Yeah. Because, like, batting cages, are those going to be off-limits? Because a lot of players love getting hit reps before the game. Is that now off-limits?
1: Yeah, you know, I I wondered whether some of the state governments would take an extra step and, and almost eliminate facilities like that. Like, if you've got a quad... Mm -hmm. and you're saying hey no more than x number of people in an area are you setting this is my area you can do 50 people at field one and 50 people at field two 50 people here because then you've got 200 people in one area instead of 50 for us in our model we don't utilize a ton of those complexes so the majority of it's you're going to you know, Wichita State, you're going to Michigan, you're going to Vanderbilt. It's one field. We can limit the number of people there. Same thing with each high school and, and things like that. The complexes get difficult and I can see I mean, go to Grand Park in Indiana. There's twenty eight fields. You got fifty people for every yeah. field and every time there's a game swap after the nine AM game, there are fifty thousand people and yeah and all these various parking lots that that I, I feel like it's tougher to, to manage a complex like that than it is for a single field here, single field there, single field there. So they're in a little different position than what we are in our space. Well, even space is, is tough.
0: We'll even think about like the Chicago fields. Like, I mean, land is at a premium there and the spaces are so tight and so compact with those fields. Like that, that's just an interesting concept. I'm sure that it's being talked over, um, with, with the government and seeing what they can and cannot do. But that is a very interesting point. But, um, I don't know. It's, it's to the point where I, I I'm ready to play, but at the same time, we've got to take it, take the safe, safe measures, measures, you know? Yeah, no doubt. Um, I want to jump into some recruiting because you have been in this this game for a very long time. When it comes to tournaments, and um, what are the aspects of a player a player needs when he goes into a tournament? Like, what's his mindset should be when he goes into a tournament? And there's college scouts in the stands. Like, what should he do? Or should
1: you know? I think it's different on each age for us, we only do the 14. We do 14 to 18. we get questions all the time about what scouts are going to be there at the 14 UH division. And I'm like, there are none. <laughs> Don't expect to see them. Yeah. Um, for me, when I was in high school, I dated a girl whose dad was a scout for the Phillies. And, uh, he told me, look, you've got, you usually have one shot when there's a scout in the stands Uh, And he told me the first thing I want you to do every game, you better have the best uniform. It better be the cleanest uniform you have. Before you get off the bus, your shirt's tucked in, you are game ready when you get off the bus and get to the field Mm -hmm. and your shoes better be polished. Uh, And that's the one thing I took from this guy was my shoes were as clean as they were ever going to be before every single game. Now it's different because you got turf, so, you got to wear tennis shoes, turfs or tennis shoes or the molded cleats, and then you got metal cleats. So, you got so much to do. But I think it's how you carry yourself uh, coming into the field if they're there before you are, which a lot of times they are because they may be watching the game before. Um, and then ultimately, every scout that we've brought on to yard work for the show that we do with pastime, yeah. um, when we ask those guys, what's the main thing to look at when you see a kid? Yeah, they've got to have talent, but I want to see that kid fail. And I want to see how he carries himself when he fails. I, I, if I'm recruiting a guy, I want him to go four for four. But I really kind of want to see him go one for four in a game, too. And how did he handle himself those three missed opportunities? You know, did he throw a bat? Did, you know, did he cuss? Did he, you know, go in and did he blame somebody else? How did he handle himself after that? I think that's the biggest thing scouts will tell you is I'm going to re- – they'll, they'll know who the talented guys are. The guys that kind of shine and stick out the most are the guys that fail and then pick somebody else up on their way off the field and say, hey, look, this is what I saw. This is what he did. You know, this is what you should go and expect on on your time up to bat. Or on the pitching side, you know, maybe it's the, the fifth inning and you've thrown, you know, 80 pitches or something like that. Are you the guy that... You know, when a coach comes out that flips the ball at him and walks off and maybe goes to the dugout, throws a glove. Are you the guy that waits for the next guy to come in and pats him on the backside and says, hey, like, help me out? Let's go. Mm -hmm. So I
0: think that's what it is. Before we jump into more of the recruiting questions, there's a question from a fellow club team ironman underscore midwest underscore baseball underscore how will you select teams for the opportunity to play at those minor league stadiums that are registered so i mean we have
1: we have a priority this year that uh, unfortunately i think we have to focus on and that's that's our 18 year old guys um you know they've missed a spring season They're going to miss part of their their travel ball summer season so you know i think we'll have a priority with the upperclassmen to start um but a lot of these are different this goes back to our flexibility i think a lot of teams have to be flexible for for instance you know june 11 to 14 in indiana we can only start june 14 but i may have access to two minor league stadiums june 14 through 17 so sunday to wednesday if you were in a June 11 to 14 event, and you know Notre Dame or Butler or May 28, June 4, we'll probably send a notification out to those teams in that region or that area that says, "Hey, look, we can play on these minor league stadiums only." And but we had 30 teams this weekend. I can only take 16. Mm-hmm. And if we had 30 teams and there were you know 15, 14 year old teams and 15. Eighteen-year-old teams, mm-hmm. I, I feel like we're obligated to go to the eighteen-year-old teams first um, because those guys, there are so many of those guys that still need the exposure and they're fighting to get, a, you know, a scholarship. I didn't get a scholarship till I was a senior in high school. Over the summer, it was during summer ball where I, I finally, you know, committed to go play baseball. Mm-hmm. But you know, it'll be that. A lot of these are going to be. You know, maybe we had a venue June 18 to 21. We lost this venue or that venue. All of our events have a number of feature field teams. Mm-hmm. And those are the first team to register and pay. Those guys will get those. If if we have a minor league stadium on that set date, say we were at I don't know Notre Dame June 18 to 21, we don't have Notre Dame, but we have the South Bend Cubs stadium. Mm-hmm. Whoever was going to get a Notre Dame game, they'll have first rights to the South Bend Cubs game. Okay. We'll do those in the same fashion we would with the featured field games. On the dates where we don't have events, like the June 14 to 17 or their midweek games or whatever, we're going to push towards those kids that still need the exposure, that age group. This is the last hurrah for 80% of the 18-year-old team. So I think that's a primary focus as well with that.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, Back to recruiting. So tech is becoming super popular. I know we talked about it on your show um, when I was on. What is your opinion on tech and how does it play into the future? Let's say the next five years.
1: Yeah. uh, Well, I think it gets developed and updated so quickly that the same tech you're using this year um, is going to be there next year, but it's going to have another perk. So, like, for us, we utilize pocket radar nonstop. It's just, it's a it's an econo- more economical, feasible product than going and getting the gun that's $2,000. Mm-hmm. Nobody can really do that. A $2,000 gun carrying around in a briefcase is tough. Um, the tech piece, the biggest tech piece, is having the ability to get your videos. Um, you know, exit velos have become huge, um, the devices that are tracking, you know, swing pass are great. Um, you know, every velo. I think a lot. What drives a lot of scouts is, or at least perks their interest right away, is when you can capture velo. So here at the end of this week, early next week, we'll release our a, a, basically a virtual showcase series where we're pushing these guys to go on more of a competition type thing, but it'll it'll lead into exposure and. Mm-hmm. And uh, utilize some additional tech, whether it's, you know, pocket radar, they'll have a verified stamp or push you to NCSA to utilize a service like that to get additional exposure. I don't think you have to focus on this piece, that piece, or that piece. There's not just one that fits for everything. I think it's great to utilize as much of that as you can. But for me, the biggest recruiting thing you can do right now is, is get video Yeah, um, and having verified validated velocities on there is amazing that's the pocket radar platform they have with the ball coach and you can it has the overlay the velo in the top right Mm -hmm. that thing seems so simple but it it shows a coach or a scout well yeah it is it is
0: 87 yeah so do you think wearable technology is going to become a factor though like a diamond kinetics or a blast motion and then my next my follow-up question for that is then you have rap Soto and you have track man. Like when I, I don't know if you're at the ABCA, but like yeah. literally every single aisle was apps was like tech. We had a huge podcast on this for the closing pitch. And we literally were talking like, there's going to be some really good ideas. We're like, well, that was a fantastic idea. And then we're going to look at some ideas. And we're going to be like, what were we thinking as a, yeah. as a group? Well, that
1: rap Soto aisle, that cage at the end, I mean, you could walk past them. That yeah. it was just one guy after another. They had, you know, hitters in there and all that. I think wearable tech. I can see if they can figure out a way, like on the on the handle of the bat, if mm-hmm. you can get that. I think the difficult part that we've tried to do so far, and we we use some of that tech during our showcase stuff and player evaluation, um, because I think anything you can measure, and I can throw on your profile. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what we want to throw out there, which is why we stat our games and, and provide, you know, Timmy went 16 for 26 this weekend. Mm-hmm. Anything you can measure is great. The wearable tech, if they can get that to a point where every kid can use it, and I can go, hey, device A is for Johnny, device B is for Timmy, and that's that's there. So every time it swings, it's going to start registering stuff. I think that's a no-brainer. I think that'll happen. Mm-hmm. Um whether they allow it in-game. Like, I want it to be in-game use. I don't want it to be in the cage.
0: Um, Or showcase setting. Like, yeah, yeah. I don't think – and this is the big argument that I had is, like, yeah, it's cool with showcases, but at the end of the day, like, what's his bat speed when he is actually facing a real live pitcher? Because it's going to be totally different.
1: Yeah, I want – you know, a showcase is – it is what it is. You're there to showcase what you can do. But the guy on the mound throwing BP is grooving it like 65 – Of course, you're going to make solid contact. I want to see when it's, you know, 88 with some movement or, you know, 84, you know, how are you going to bounce back from that? Because then that shows me a lot more than just the guy throwing BP who's, who's dotting it every time for you. Um, You know, outside of that, you know, the devices that are going up at the top of the stadiums that are, you know, are measuring launch angles and all that kind of stuff if you could get that at every field, that'd be great. It's just, you know, some of those are $20,000 a unit, Mm -hmm.
0: um, which means those are more of a showcase setting type of product. Could you see like colleges adding that into their stadium and then charging a fee on top? Yeah. I mean, I think that there are some venues now that have
1: that. Um, and it's, you know, we would have to reach out and say, Hey, can you give us access to that? A lot. Some of those products, they're, that's their information there that's their data that we can't actually go out and say, Hey, based off of this product, you know, Johnny just had a launch angle of this. And it went this far on this field from a pitcher that threw this hard that, that part to me is, is difficult to, you know, accept because if you buy the product, I mean, you should own the data. So yeah, I mean that, Ultimately, if you've got a like, if you've got a complex and you've got six fields or twelve fields or whatever, mm-hmm. and you can get that stuff in there, I mean that that would be amazing. Because I, I would as a team, you know, as a parent myself, that's where I'd want to go because I want to see progression mm-hmm. and I want to see how things change from, you know, this picture to that picture. That's another piece that we try to capture in our events. Was we started just stat tracking every game. At every field, so we can build these stats on every player and pump those guys through social platforms and things like that. But now I want to—I don't want to just pop your radar, the pitcher, and hey, this guy was 86 today. And then I've got all this data for offensive categories. I want to say, hey, Johnny was here's his 16 hits. The velo that he hit off of was 78, 82, 81, 81, because his 16 hits are very different than the nine hits off the guy that was in pool a that saw 90 every time. So like that stuff is, is measurable and, and it's, it's beyond useful if you can get it to a point where it's economical to, to set up. Our coaches
0: asking you for data.
1: Yeah. We'll provide all that data. Like we utilize a lot of that data to select our all scout tournaments, mm-hmm. uh, the all scout kids, and we invite them to the big showcase where we'll pay college coaches to be there but yeah, we send that out to those guys at the end of every week, and on an event by event basis, and then we create a leaderboard, all that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, I think they utilize that. They, that's not their main recruiting tool, um, mm-hmm. but that's the that's the perk of that. That's what gets them going is they see a kid that was, you know, sixteen for twenty one. we well, can hit! Now let me go see. I want to go see
0: him live, but let me grab video of this kid. So you would say like that's just an opening, you're opening the door basically.
1: Yeah. And is anytime you can open any door or window <laughs>
0: or or anything, like why wouldn't you do it? Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. Now, um with recruiting, obviously like high school baseball and just baseball in general, the culture right now is like, oh, it's it's end all be all. I'm doing this because I'm playing college baseball. Do you think that is the right mindset? Or do you think that we need to start changing that? Like, how, what's your viewpoint on that? Um, you know, I think most competitors and
1: athletes, especially in baseball, they want to play at the next level. Um, it's not realistic for 100% of us. I mean, I played baseball with some really good guys that were really good baseball players in high school that they were. They, that was it. They just they wanted to play high school sports and be part of that. So – I think there are two focuses that people take and it's, it's one, this is my road to, to get into college, or Mm -hmm. you have to look at it as an experience. Like for my summer, I, I don't remember any uh, aside from maybe the one or two games that, you know, I had three home runs in a game. Uh, Two of them were lucky. Mm
0: -hmm. Uh,
1: You know, you remember those, but I remember every, bus ride every rv ride every hotel stay, yeah. every time we got in trouble for getting out of the rooms like those the experience and the friends and all that remember mm-hmm. that way more than any game that i played in any scout that saw me anything other than that so you know i i really think that's driven by you know a lot of social media type stuff but each person has to take it into their own hands and say look I want to play baseball because I want to be around my friends. I'm good Mm -hmm. enough to play. If I get recruited, great. If I, if I'm not in a position to play at the next level, like I'm having the time of my life because everything now in summer baseball is almost vacation travel baseball, where (laughs) everybody takes that one big trip or that those two big trips a year. And it's, it's everything else around. It was so much more important to me than the actual, stats and games that i was in I, like i played with guys that remembered everything you went two for four that game you know i had seven strikeouts that game yeah. i remember none of that
0: but i remember <laughs> I'm, in every the same boat. I'm in the same boat
1: <laughs> i remember every guy on my team um you know i i when i was probably 15 we had a kid on our team that he was with us for one year we hung out all the time He's a member at, you know, a golf course over here that, that I go to. And I saw his face, remembered, it, like, I mean, this was 21 years ago. This is the last time I saw him. Oh, and wow. I remembered his face right away, and he was like, Tommy, do you remember? <laughs> and I was like, yes, I remember. So, I mean, those things are far more important than it, the end-all, be-all can't be just – I get a scholarship? Am I, am I playing college baseball? Mm-hmm. Because even your time in college baseball, you're going for three or four years. Some guys are only going to play one or two of those four years.
0: Like there's so much more going on than just that piece. That is the truth. That is the truth. Um, the closing pitch. Um, I have a question right here. The closing pitch is about culture and people and, You being in the tournament industry, you are exposed to a lot of people and um, a lot of cultures. What makes a good organization and what makes a good coach? I know that the travel ball industry gets um, a lot of negative feedback sometimes when we talk about just people in general, like they had a bad experience with one coach or one organization. What should people look for in a good organization and a good coach?
1: Yeah, And I think it applies to the tournament space too is it's organization in and of itself for that organization. So, you know, like when you look at the big, the big travel programs, there are versus maybe the one-off type teams. Usually the big travel programs have somebody in charge. They're organizing, you know, schedules and uniforms and things like that from a tournament provider standpoint, like it, it's almost like a godsend because we know, hey, they're going to register on time. They're going to get paid on time. They're going to they're going to be here at the right time. They they've got the disbursement of information available. I think that's what sets those guys apart. Um, a lot, of, and then moving down the line, there their coaches are put up to a certain level where hey, you're wearing our uniform. You've got our name on your chest. You have to respect it. You got to you know use your common sense. Things like that. There are some programs that it's more of the Wild West, and if you've got a guy coaching that is, you know, F-bombing kids and and throwing stuff himself, there's usually a problem at the top. When there's a a solid base at the top and and the people that are directing and organizing all the details, which take – you know, six, eight, nine months to do mm-hmm. it usually trickles down to everybody else they have involved as well. And you can tell with, I mean, without question, it's from our standpoint, when we get rained out, you know, and you lost a game. So maybe the pools are uneven. Everybody in pool A got four games. You know, we missed two games from pool B. You got all these different situations. The programs that have done it for a while that are organized, they don't look at it and go, well, if we would have played our last game, we would have gotten in. They usually look at it and go, look, it's part of it. We got rained out the last game of the day on Saturday. Um, You know, they did what they could do. We were on turf anyway. We got rained out. The other groups that have more of that, you know, combative nature, they don't usually have that person at the top that's like, look, this is part of it. They're the guys that are saying, hey, let me come back. Sunday morning at 7 a.m. and make up this last game but what they don't see is there are 11 other games that we have to make up for that point too so you know ultimately I think it all starts at the top and you can tell it's you know there's a calm about those programs and those teams and those coaches that trickles down from from the guys that are are setting everything up and setting expectations
0: for those those coaches. Mm -hmm. So I want to wrap up here because um, we're about to run out of time. I don't know if you know this, but Instagram Live only allows you to go for an hour, and we're actually almost there. So I don't want to get cut off at the end. Uh, so I do want to have a proper closing because um, this has just been a dynamite conversation. I'm gonna we're gonna play a game just like ESPN does it. Take it or leave it. I'm gonna give you four statements, and you can either explain why you're taking it, or why you're leaving it, or just go on to the next question. All right, all right. Here we go. So first one is. The end or we just answered this. The end all be all is playing college baseball. There's no other reason to play travel baseball. So I take that question, I can answer it, right? You can you can either take it or leave it. So basically saying, um, yes, this is it is only college baseball or no, it's not college baseball. No, I, I don't think it can
1: be. I think there's you gotta have more involved, more more passion behind it, stuff like that. There's gotta be more than just the one reason
0: to play. MLB will play without fans in 2020. Yes. Mike Trout will be the greatest baseball player of all time. Man, that's going to be tough. (laughs) If he's healthy, absolutely. That'd be the first guy I would pick on my team every time. Yeah, I mean, he has almost every attribute you'd actually want. It's just a matter of whether he plays the top, like plays in a harder division, or gets a World Series ring. Like, I mean, Michael Jordan. The reason he's the greatest is because he has six six championships. Yeah. Ultimately, I think, and this is what this goes back to my
1: high school days. The only reason why I was an all state kid, uh, mm-hmm. I was a three hole hitter at five nine, hundred and sixty pounds. The guy behind me. Both yeah. Scott scott roland single season doubles record oh geez uh, you know went to arkansas the only reason why i i got every pitch down the middle because nobody wanted to get to that <laughs> guy so you just you basically took advantage oh i hit seeing i had hit 55 hits i had hit 50 singles uh, <laughs> but trout you know for him to get to that status to put up those numbers i think he's got to have protection behind him. and i think I, I think he would get there with that for sure
0: Yeah. Um, last one, technology and data will take over as the new norm before offering a scholarship.
1: Yeah, uh, I think that there's so much rely, you know, relied on that information. I think it, you know, there's only so many old school scouts out there that are just going by the eye and, you know, a a watch, a stopwatch. Everybody is there the space the baseball space the recruiting space is shrinking so much because of social media the opportunities to load your own videos and connect with people like that that that's going to be the first trigger for most of these scouts there's they don't go out now and just say yeah i'm driving by you know Lawrence Central High School let's see if there's a game going on and they stop by and just, everything is is technology driven when i played i didn't even know if there are other teams that I didn't, I barely understood that we were actually in a tournament. I thought we were just playing games (laughs) because there was no standings. There were no words. There were no stats that we were looking at. It was, I think everything is technology driven and ultimately, especially right now, the only way they can see you is, is through a video. So, you know, I think that's going to be the number one priority with, for every, every recruiter out there is right now that it's who can get on these videos quick enough. And then ultimately those the recruiting coordinators or coaches are good enough. They're, they can sell their, their program and their product from there.
0: Tom, thank you so much for jumping on this Instagram live. I know you are a busy man, obviously, with the whole um, Cerveza sickness and trying to figure out what landscape um, the tournaments are going to be in and figuring out games and stadiums. Um, I'm looking forward to jumping in um, on these games and the summer schedule. Thanks again. And, um, guys, if you have questions, just DM me, um, and um, I could probably – answer them. If I can, I'll pass them on to Tom and see if we can um, figure this, this whole thing out. All right, guys. All right. Thanks, Tom. Appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for listening to this bonus episode of the closing pitch. Again, I thought this was a very interesting conversation where I was actually on his show yard work and we are going to release that episode next week, next Wednesday. And, um, the conversation, is more on the lines of what recruiting looks like and how players are getting recruited as well as marketing and business. It's just a very good conversation that I think that a lot of people will find value in. But um, we will release that episode next Wednesday. Thanks, guys. Make sure you give us a review. Give us a five-star rating, preferably. If you are a new listener, please subscribe and get notified when we upload. We've been uploading on Tuesdays and Thursdays for our normal episodes, and we've been doing our bonus episodes on Wednesdays bonus episodes are usually with a guest or we're guest on someone else's podcast. Uh, But again, guys, subscribe and give us a review. We appreciate everything that you do. We appreciate the support. We love you guys. Thanks.